peace of Christ be with you. As we settle into this place, give yourself about three deep breaths to be settled into the presence of the Holy Spirit and allow yourself felt held by this house of prayer. Friends, let us worship the living God. Please rise in body or spirit for the call to worship. Come into this place with thanksgiving. Offer praise and spend time in your joy. Come into this place with grief or sorrow. Whatever you bring, God can take it. to worship here today. If you're visiting with us, a special welcome to you. I do invite you after worship into our Finley Hall and our garden area for
coffee, tea, snacks, most importantly, a chance to get to know each other just a little better. If you are visiting with us and would like more information about the church, you're welcome to stop by our welcome table on the way out of worship and learn a little bit more about our community. Let's join together now in our community prayer. You'll find it printed in your bulletin. Let us pray. Forgive us, O oh God, if we have turned you into a lifeless statue, if we have confused your unwavering love with an unchangeable figure, a set of principles rather than a dynamic force. Break open old wounds that we might again experience your grace, your grace that empowers, your grace that prayers continue in quiet. as God's children in God's embrace. Know that you are forgiven and free. Through the power of the Spirit, we are made new. Thanks be to God. Amen. This is our birthday blessing Sunday. So if you have a birthday in June, or if maybe you missed a blessing in a previous month, I invite you to come forward. Mary Oliver. It's part of a series of poems called Six Recognitions of the Lord. And I'm going to read you her third recognition. I lounge on the grass. That's all. So simple. Then I lie back until I am inside the cloud that is just above me, but very high and shaped like a fish, or perhaps not. Then I enter the place of not thinking, not remembering, not wanting. When the blue jay cries out his riddle in his carping voice, I return. But I go back. The threshold is always near. Over and back, over and back. Then I rise. Maybe I rub my face as though I have been asleep, but I have not been asleep. I have been, as I say, inside the cloud or perhaps the lily floating on the water. Then I go back to town, to my own house, my own life, which has now become brighter and simpler, somewhere I have never been before. So I wish you happy birthday this June month, and my hope, my prayer for you is that you will be able to find some of those inside the cloud moments. Those moments that when you return back to your life, it somehow seems just a little brighter. Wish that not only on your birthday, but throughout the year. Happy birthday to all of you. to invite the children who are worshiping with us to come join me here at the front, as well any of our participants on our middle school mission trip, I invite you to come forward. Alright, so kids, what we're going to do, I invite you to actually sit here, and we're going to look up this way, because then we have some slightly taller kids and adults who are going to stand up here, there we go, so 
Action trip, stand up here. If you're not, we'll sit down here. We got it? Got it all arranged here? All right. So these guys, and a few more, are headed to Santa Cruz this week. And they're going on a service trip. They're going to uh, be with various organizations in Santa Cruz that do helping things for people, that share God's love with people. And what we're going to do today is we're going to commission them. Commission, that's an interesting word. Basically what it means is we're going to send them out. We're going to send you out into the world to Santa Cruz because they don't go alone on this trip. They go with each of us in their hearts with our love and our prayers. So know during the week that you will be supported by all of us as you do God's work in the Santa Cruz community. So to commission them, I have a couple questions for them, and then I have one question for all of us as well. So today we recognize the ministries of these dedicated people and commission each of them to a special task in the service of God. Scripture teaches us you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before all, that they may see your good deeds and praise God in heaven. So mission team members, are you ready and willing to let your light shine as you go out to serve in Jesus' name? If so, please respond, I am. Will you accept God's call to serve, and while on this trip, will you serve with energy, creativity, openness, grace, and love? If so, please respond, I will. All right, and now a question for all of you and all of you. Congregation, as we support these servants of God, will we pray for them as they represent us while serving this week? If so, please respond, we will. All right, you heard it here. You've got all of these people praying for you this week, and I hope that you really do. So let us be in prayer right now. Guiding and loving God, empower these mission team members to be your hands and feet in Santa Cruz. By their actions and words, make them witnesses of your great love for all of your beloved children. Protect them, teach them, support them as they take this step in their own journey to becoming the servant people you call them to be. Fill them with the Spirit and enable them to do their tasks faithfully and joyfully. Bring them safely home and then let their experience further enrich us so that we too may follow your call to serving our community in the love of Christ. Amen. Thank you for your service and we look forward to hearing your stories when you return. And you all are invited to head out to Sunday school. You can follow Grayson and Cammy. Go now in peace. Go now. to our time of joys and concerns where we share with each other what is on our hearts and minds. I have a first, a few to share first. First, it's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to the fathers out there. Certainly prayers of joy for all who are celebrating with joy. And also we hold in our prayers those for whom Father's Day might be a challenging day. So prayers on this Father's Day. As well, we hold in our prayers the uh, Presbyterian Church's General Assembly. This is a national gathering of both clergy and lay people that happens every two years for the National Presbyterian Church. One of their orders of business is to elect moderators, either one or two, who help to serve and guide the church over the next two years until the next GA. And so we hold in our prayers the co-moderators that were elected at this GA. It's ruling elder Villa Marie Cintron Oliveri and the Reverend Cindy Coleman. Note two female moderators, women leading our church over the next two years. And then, in addition, um, the PCUSA stated clerk, who is one of the head honchos of the Presbyterian Church, J. Herbert Nelson, uh, he issued a statement out of GA yesterday 
Uh, we'll put the entirety of his statement on our website, but I wanted to read some of it to you today as we enter into our time of prayer. So J. Herbert Nelson writes this, As Presbyterians gather for the meeting of our 223rd General Assembly, we are mindful of the many issues of justice, peace, and compassion we face, both as citizens of the United States and members of the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is nothing of more urgency right now than the tragedy that is unfolding at our borders, where children are ripped from their parents and placed in holding cells while their frantic parents scream in agony at the separation. What has this nation become? How have we wandered so far from Jesus' kind admonition, let the little children come to me? How can this be happening in a nation in which so many claim the traditions of Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, and the critical importance of families to the fabric of our lives together? What makes matters worse is the audacity of quoting the Apostle Paul's admonition to believers in Romans 13.1, to obey the law, while ignoring the higher scriptural demand that love is the fulfilling of the law, Romans 13.10. The crisis of tens of thousands of desperate people coming to the United States for relief seems almost overwhelming. But as the officials of our government attempt to address the crisis, we cannot afford to tarnish the highest values of our nation we must not punish desperate parents by tearing their children away from them, leaving the parents without access to the children or assurance of their welfare. In the name of God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, stop. Exclamation point. Again, we'll put his entire statement up on our website if you want to see it in its entirety. But certainly, our prayers are with the families at the border and our elected officials. Now it's your turn. What are your joys and concerns that are on your hearts and minds? Denny. prayer concerns. I can't repeat that in its entirety, but basically Denny's saying, encouraging us to look at our complicity in what is happening in other countries, especially countries where refugees are coming from. Other joys and concerns to share? son-in-law died recently, so prayers for that family and you. Over here, Dominic. Thankful for walking. Amen. Amen. Kevin, identify yourself, would you? Kevin is, has been a classmate of, I think, both Bethany and I over at the seminary, pastor at Bloom in the Desert, which is a Presbyterian church in Southern California. UCC. Oh. Come on yeah. now. I knew that. <laughs> I'm sorry, I knew that. Here Bethany knows. Leave it to the press. We'll, we'll claim you if you would have us. In any event, pastor at Bloom in the Desert in Southern California. Uh, and he is up here because he's on sabbatical, so he can write his dissertation. And so we want to offer our prayers not only for his congregation, 
but also for him and his writing process. May you feel the Spirit's presence. May you have a muse on your shoulder, and may the words come free and fast. <laughs> Amen. Welcome to you. It's good to have you with us. She's praying for the pastor of her church back home, 45-year-old who has cancer. Pray for him. Yeah. Wow, so Eunice prayers of joy for three college graduates. This is the graduation season. I noticed many of our middle schoolers standing up here are technically no longer middle schoolers. Off to high school next year, so certainly prayers for all of our graduates. to our congregation. We welcome them as refugees. Suad, Muhaber's son, was not even yet born when they came, just graduated from high school. special joy. Judy being the chairperson of our capital campaign. Thank you, Bethany. It is a great joy to be here this morning. This, if you have been following the news about the uh, campaign, is Celebration Sunday. And we have much to celebrate. We want to celebrate that as of Friday, we have reached pledges of over $2.4 million towards our So thank you all. You continue to hear from us. There's another newsletter coming at the end of the month. But this is wonderful. And I also, at this time, I want to ask Jonathan and Nelson Purdue to come forward because there is a special celebration due to them. Not only did Jonathan give a foundational pledge to the campaign, but he asked us to do it only for two things. One, to inspire others to um, pledge generously. And the other was to ask <clears throat> that we honor his father. And it's so fitting that we're honoring his father on Father's Day. William Perdue was pastor here at Westminster from 1969 to 1980. And we have this wonderful picture of him with an inscription that I will read to honor Jonathan's father. The Reverend William M. Perdue, pastor 1969 to 1980, pastor emeritus, His ministry was embedded in love, peace, and justice. As a servant to 
spoke about his heeding the call from the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. to join him in his historic and perilous march in Selma, Alabama in March of 1965. When asked by the Purdue family about his courageous act, at most he would say, it was the least I could do. We are proud to have had Reverend Purdue as part of this wonderful church. I'm proud and Gracious God, you hear our prayers, and they're offered in the name of the one who teaches us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven,
first reading this morning is Psalm number 20. The Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May she send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May God grant your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your victory. And in the name of our God, set up our banners. And may the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord will help God's anointed. God will answer him from his holy heaven mighty victories by her right hand. Some take pride in chariots and some in horses, but our pride is in the name of the Lord our God. They will collapse and fall, but we shall rise and stand upright. Give victory to the King, O Lord. Answer us when we call. This is holy wisdom. word before the second reading, topics of a certain weight, I think, deserve some advance notice, and so I mentioned to you now that later in the sermon I will touch upon the matter of suicide, hopefully in a helpful way, in a supportive way, but I tell you that now, so that not so you're anxious and anticipating it, but so if you need a moment to be prepared, you have that moment, for I know this comes closer to home some than others. Second reading is from 1 Samuel, the 15th chapter. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death, but Samuel grieved over Saul. And the Lord was sorry that the Lord had made Saul king over Israel. Friends, this too is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. That second reading was supposed to be much longer. The lectionary prescribes a much longer passage. But I couldn't make it past that final sentence. So profound. And the Lord God was sorry that God had made Saul king over Israel? God was sorry? This flies in the face of everything we were taught in Sunday school about God being perfect and unchanging and all-controlling. God was sorry. Well, I think many of us might say in honest moments that this perfect God, perfect if you understand it in terms of unchanging, this perfect God doesn't square with human experience at least without contorting ourselves into all kinds of positions and answers to certain realities. We say things like, well, there's a larger plan at work and we simply cannot see it fully. Or, well, there's a reward waiting at the end of every tragedy and every injustice for those who are good. And while I believe there's truth to each of those things, saying them to someone who's in pain or suffering is often patronizing, if not downright cruel. And what if I told you that this perfect vision of God also doesn't square with Holy Scripture? Now, I know this can sort of blow the mind of a settled Christian, which I think is a good thing, but can be unsettling. Don't take my word for it. Look it up yourself. Go to, go to Genesis 18 and, and watch as Abraham bargains God off of some wrath, step by step, changing God's mind. Genesis 32, Moses does virtually the same thing. And then today's passage, and God was sorry that God allowed Saul to be king. 
rabbi once said to a group of us who were studying the Torah, you know, you can kind of watch God grow up throughout the Hebrew Bible. Isn't that a marvelous image? We're probably taught that's heretical to say, but it's biblical. God grows. God shows the ability to reflect, to learn, to change. God listens, learns, and therefore changes. And maybe therein lies God's perfection. We say God listens. At the 8.30 service, every time we do our prayer time, everybody ends their prayer by saying, God, in your grace, and everybody else says, you hear our prayers. God hears our prayers and listens, then something must actually be at stake in those prayers. In other words, God on one level needs those prayers, or at least is affected by them, for better or worse, worse in the case of allowing Saul to be king, but it does say for us we have a part to play. The great uh, Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann says that in writing of the Psalms in particular, that sometimes the people have to wake God up who seems to be asleep on the job in appeal to God's ego or God's honor or God's sense of competitiveness. That's a far more fun God than the one we often grow up with. To get God to fulfill God's end of the bargain. It might seem kind of a ridiculous notion, but it does elevate the idea that we have a role to play, an important Evangelical leader Shane Claiborne tells of a comic strip that he likes where one person says to the other, why does God allow all this suffering and injustice in the world to happen? And the other person says, well, why don't you ask God that? And the first person says, because I'm afraid God will ask me the same question. Now, this isn't to tear down God or make God somehow lesser, it's actually to lift up the importance of our relationship with God. One that if it's a true relationship, uh, has both the capacity for blessing, just think, not only can we be blessed by God, we get to bless God back. What a wonderful reality to live into. But also the possibility for disappointment. We talk a lot in the church about how we disappoint God. But do we recognize what some of us probably feel in our hearts that at times we've been disappointed by God? Or at least our experience of life and therefore of God? All of this also elevates the degree, the question about the degree to which we're willing to be committed to that relationship. Within our abilities, to the best of our abilities, uh, it's going to take our participation not doing it well, as Richard Rohr would say, but just doing it, if it's truly going to bear fruit. Do you know how we know that God is committed to the relationship? It's not strangely through all the acts of power and victory and triumph. It's because God said that God was sorry for making Saul. See, God could have said, I told you so. I told you you didn't want a king. But blame is not the language of relationship. Blame is the language of alienation. Instead, God says, I'm sorry. Maybe, maybe not taking responsibility, but expressing compassion. You see, anybody who refuses to ever apologize to you is not committed to you. Because the apology shows a commitment to the relationship, a wanting to tend to the relationship, regardless of what the score is about the relationship. So God is committed to that relationship. And we're called to be committed to it too, if we're willing. What does that commitment is it only about telling people that they are bad? That seems to have been the only gift of the church from time to time. And, and don't get me wrong, there's plenty of uh, room in this world and need 
for confession, which is just truth-telling about yourself, about your community. There's plenty of room for repentance, this turning back to a righteous path, both as individuals and as communities and as nations and societies. But if our only gift to the world is telling everyone how bad they are, well, then I think the church has lost its way because the church actually must also offer some gift in the form of helping people cope with the world, to move through the world in all of its pain and its suffering, which is what brings us to today's topic of suicide. A topic that I gather touches probably everybody in this room, maybe to varying degrees. I've known a number of people who've taken their own life, and it's not because of what I do for I, uh, as you know, if you've heard me for any length of time, I was a summer camp counselor in college. And in one, between one summer and the next one year, I think between my sophomore and junior years in college, I lost three kids to suicide. I was working with 11 and 12-year-olds. All from the wealthiest suburb of the nearest big city. Wealthy, white. We think they don't have pain, too. Well, we've missed the whole room. For a long time, the church's first word about suicide was sin. Sin, suicide is a mortal sin. A misguided teaching meant to uphold the sanctity of life, I presume. I don't think you do that by threatening people with eternal damnation. And while we've largely, uh, I would say, gotten over that understanding, one thing that persists is, is more insidious, and we don't use the language of sin around it, but it functions in the same manner. Those of us who are left behind when someone leaves this earth by their own hand often ask those impossible yet understandable questions of why didn't I see it coming? Why couldn't I stop it? What if rather than seeing God as the one who plants those questions in our hearts, can't we see God as the one who just looks at us and cradles us and says, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. And that's it. We're coming off a week, a couple weeks ago, of two high-profile celebrity suicides. And I bring that up because I think they gave us the occasion to talk about something we probably don't talk about enough in the church. And because I think we feel connected to these folks, even though we don't truly know them, but somehow we connect with them. The them I'm speaking of is Kate Spade, the fashion designer, and the celebrity TV chef, personality Anthony Bourdain. We somehow connect to them, and then when pain shows up in ways we didn't fully recognize and takes them well, it touches us. And we also bring it up because the data says that when there are celebrity suicides in society, uh, rates of suicides among the rest of us spike, and it's our job to stop that if we can. Now, I, I lift them up here not to give uh, inspiration for others who share that same level of pain to think they're going to get similar airtime. We don't want to incentivize that. If your pain is of that depth and that power, come talk to us after the service so we can do one better than preaching about you. We can help you, get you in touch with people who need help. There's information where we can help you. There's information in your bulletin about that. Well, I confess I cannot speak uh, as fully about Kate Spade as I can about Anthony Bourdain, though I love a good handbag. I will say, though, it's not lost on me the poignancy that she could make such beautiful things uh, out of a place that obviously was wracked by pain. Many of us probably share that, don't we? You can never tell by the beauty that one makes what's going on inside. So we honor that. I don't know how many of you followed Anthony Bourdain or his show, Parts Unknown. He had a rather crass personality. I like that. But he was hard to get to know, I suppose you could say. 
but I actually think somehow his life, not the way he ended it, but the way he lived it, does show us something about how to navigate this world. Ironically, in light of his ending, how to cope with this world and how to move through it. If you haven't seen his show, his background is he's, he was a high-end chef in New York City. And he then hosted a cooking, not a cooking show, but a show where he'd go around and eat all over the world at places. But he didn't go to the finest dining establishments, which you might think in light of his background. He went to places that ate street food with the kind of people who made it. He had sort of a sordid past. He, Drugs and other things. He's kind of a rock and roll figure of the culinary world. But he would go anywhere to eat with anybody. Common food, common people. It's no coincidence that his show, which was really about people, was centered around food. Because the meal, the meal is a sacred occasion. It breaks down all kinds of barriers when we break bread together. Think about on a very literal level what eating is, eating and drinking. You're opening your mouth and therefore exposing your vulnerable inside to the outside of the world. You're putting stuff from the outside in. And therefore when you sit with somebody and you break bread or share a cup, you're actually trusting one another in the most vulnerable uh, moments of life, sharing your creatureliness. Of all the tributes that I read to Bourdain, the one that touched me the most was the one that said, he showed people that others were largely not to be feared. Because he didn't with anybody. Of any political ideology or governmental system or religion or language or skin tone or orientation or identity, he didn't with anybody. What a prophetic message in a historical moment where so many so many angles are profiting off making us afraid of one another. He showed us that others are largely not to be feared. You know, and he didn't enter those conversations or those encounters with judgment that you could at least see. I don't think he necessarily gave up everything he stood for. I don't imagine he agreed with everybody he sat with. How could he? But he genuinely seemed unthreatened by the other. And he genuinely seemed interested to hear what the other had to say and what their stories were and experiences and perspectives. And then in an ultimate display of relationship, he took what they had made and he put it in his body. Which isn't just an invitation for relationship, it's one better, it's the acceptance of an invitation for relationship. That's literally putting your life in someone's hands. In that sense, he was very Christ-like. Because what did Jesus get in trouble for first? Or often? Eating with the wrong people. The wrong people. To sit with them and to take their food into his body before he gave the world his food. And to hear their stories and their perspectives. And because he heard where they are coming from, he seemed awfully ready to forgive them because he's he probably saw what made them who they are. So he was able to forgive the choices they made because he knew where they were coming from. And Jesus never turned down somebody who wanted to be his partner in healing the world, regardless of where they had come from. He never turned that away. Now, isn't that a model for our faith? One who, who's perfected uh, through relationship. Maybe that's a better symbol. Now, I imagine that God was sorry that Kate Spade killed herself. And Anthony Bourdain killed himself. The people you love have killed themselves. And I gather, if I asked you at the outset, what are the three most important words God says to us? That many of us would respond, I love you. But maybe another three words that are important are, I love you. We're not used to hearing those words, but there are occasions for them. And if we hear them at the right occasions, then maybe they will strengthen that relationship that is so important. And so, to make up for lost time, perhaps, and lost occasion, hear this, a few additional I'm sorry's 
which maybe we could take as prayer. This time, maybe, if not from us to God, then from God to us. So, God is here. I'm sorry that you lost your loved one and that I didn't do more, and as a result, you feel as though you should have. I'm sorry for that time when you were a little child and you lost your favorite toy and your mom or dad didn't do enough to find it. That you didn't get into the school you wanted to. I'm sorry that you lost your job. I'm sorry about the time your pet died. It's not silly. I'm sorry for when your friend betrayed you. I'm sorry for the people who were in power over you and how they abused that power. I'm sorry for that time when you got up there to give it your best and you sat down feeling embarrassed and that you had failed. I'm sorry your kids turned to drugs and struggled or struggled with mental illness or never quite launched the way you had dreamed. I'm sorry that you were not treated equally with who I made you to be and who I made you to love. I'm sorry your 45-year-old pastor has terminal cancer. I'm sorry for the gangs which rule the streets in South America and the children who are in cages in the United States of America and how you feel so helpless about all of it. I'm sorry that your job takes you away from your children. I'm sorry that he or she in your life isn't what you'd hope them to be. I'm sorry you don't have a he or a she or a they in your life, if that's what you wanted. I'm sorry that you're afraid sometimes, and that you have reasons for it. And, not but, and I want you to know those three other words are still true. I love you. I'm growing too, and I'm sending you my angels. Indeed, in many cases I already have. Look around you. You can catch glimpses of them from time to time if you look. Some are sitting next to you right now. Some of you are them. In this world, which is too hard to understand, I want you to know there is a way. I've shown it to you in Jesus Christ. He came that I might be in closer reach, that you might learn from him and his way, and you might take it into yourself and work for good in this world in his name. Jesus, my son, died too young. You, my children, don't have to. You were meant to live, to have life and have it abundantly. So have it, have it and share it. Work that others might have it too. I'm here, even if you have to wake me up sometimes. Just keep calling.
be seated. Just two things to highlight for you. First, I mentioned the General Assembly going on. If you want to know more about what is happening, simply go to the PCUSA.org website, PCUSA.org. It'll tell you all about the General Assembly. Second, you all are invited to our all-church picnic. It's happening today at the Corte Madera Town Center, Town Park. You can head straight there following worship. It's right on Tamil Pius and Corte Madera. If you need directions, just ask someone. All are welcome. Food is provided. Our Congregational Life Commission is already there, grilling up all kinds of tasty things. So come and just join in the fun. I now invite you, as you are comfortable, to stand for our closing hymn, 292. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, who is Father and Mother of us all, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with us this day and every day. Amen. <laughs>